0: Welcome to The Jig Is Up. My name is Darcy, of course, and Jason is not joining me tonight. I am flying solo. Uh, It is through a happenstance of a little bit of a fender bender that Jason was in. Uh, He's okay. His family's okay. Everybody seems to be okay. Um, But he's got a little bit to deal with there now, so tonight. So uh, this only happened a couple hours before the recording of this podcast. So hope you guys enjoy the show with just me in it. I know it's not the usual banter that you're used to, but I hope to do at least uh, 50% as good. If you, I'm sure you guys will let me know if you didn't like it. I wanted to start off tonight um, with a story that is very troubling to me. And it's troubling to me for a number of reasons. Uh, so I'm just going to kind of highlight what the story was and then talk about what bothers me about it. So there's a school board out in Ontario, and it's the Windsor School Board. Um, Now, they have several people running their Indigenous programming for their, uh, I don't know if it's K-12 through or what it is, Um, but uh, several of those people are self-identified Métis, and that's not the troubling part of the story. Uh, We're not really sure if these people really are Indigenous at all. Um, They just claim it on a form. They said self-identify as Métis, and then they got to take on all these jobs that uh, running this indigenous programming and running the budget and running all these numbers and huge dollars. Like it's, you know, I mean, it's not massive, massive, but it's a million, but a million bucks a year. Um, and there's been some question even on the First Nation side of things: Are these guys even indigenous? Like I don't know, I'm, we don't know who these people are. Um, they certainly don't ever partake in any ceremonies or events. Locally, that we've ever seen. Um, so it's interesting. It, it, it's a it's a disturbing story because I think uh, from what I'm gathering from what I'm reading, it is another example of uh, you know self-identifying um, quote-unquote Métis people, uh, you know, using the system to their advantage, gaining personal advantage by by claiming that identity. Now. What bothers me about that is there are lots of people in this on this country who self-identify as Métis and not because we want to see any benefits, not because we want to get a job or because we want to save taxes or get free gas or any of those stereotypic tropes that you that are always drug out. There are certainly people that do that and those are the people that really concern me which is why this story bothered me so much. And I know to some people on the interweb and the social media, they would be going, but wait a minute, Darcy, aren't you one of those Eastern Métis frauds? And, you know, no, I'm not. Um, And the reason I'm not is because, you know, like, yes, I do claim some of my Indigenous ancestry goes back into, the, you know, the Acadia days and things like that, Eastern, um, the Eastern part of the country. But... There is another Indigenous part of my family that I cannot, simply cannot trace through paperwork. And so that side of it, uh, it is what it is. However, I, I don't want any benefits from it. I don't want to take anybody's rights. I don't want to step on anybody's toes. I don't want to claim hunting rights. I don't want any of that. Um, I simply just want my identity. I want my family's identity. I want to be me. So, to those same haters, they'd be going, "But there's no difference. You're a fraud, and everybody in the East Coast is a fraud." And the the truth is, is you know, I and I think um, it might have even been Joanne that I I saw a post this uh, Joanne Brissett, uh, who posted this online. But uh, you know, it's a matter of being brushed with the same stroke as the worst people in your group of 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 people, I guess. So there are people that probably fraudulently claim to be at Métis that are trying to do this to gain personal advantage, gain personal benefits, in this case, gain jobs, high-paying jobs, uh, and run an entire program without ever having any history in those as being Indigenous. Their family does not have the history of being Indigenous. Um, I know for myself, if somebody was to offer me an Indigenous job, I would have to turn it down, not because I'm not Indigenous, but because I haven't lived a lifetime of knowing my culture and understanding my traditions and my history, my family history, all these kinds of things. I could not then start a job where I'm telling other people about Indigenous things. Um, I can study about Métis, I can study about culture, but I, I am in my own personal life working on those things outside of anything that anybody ever sees. But I'm in no position to take those kinds of, of jobs and... I know there's a lot of people even that are Red River Métis that are trying to reconnect who maybe just found out in the last year, two years, five years. And even they would say, you know, I can't take that job because I don't don't know enough about my indigeneity to really be able to teach this to others. And certainly I shouldn't get paid for it when, you know, I didn't grow up this way. I didn't have that in my life. And it's not my fault that I didn't have it. But I'm just in the process of reconnecting. So I can't take this job. Um, you know and I lump these people in with this, the same organizations that say, oh no, it's okay to use our card to try to get tax-free gas and try to make their cards look like uh, you know uh, Indian, Indian act and post status cards. Like they're the same group of fraudulent people. Um, and I, I think that's a very disturbing trend, and I think it's a very it's a trend that take it should be taken seriously. And I don't blame our First Nation family. Uh, I don't blame uh, you know any of the other Métis, Red River Métis, or any other otherwise, for being pissed off about it, for being upset about this. Um, it bothers me because this takes away the credibility from people who truly are Métis, who truly are Indigenous, and who simply just want to understand who they are and their family and be part of a community. So if that for them means their local, uh, you know, uh, community, or, um, you know, for a metis nonprofit or something, if that's their community, then they want to be part of that. And I, I, that's the people that need to be taken seriously. And these people need to be ferreted out. But we need to recognize that these people don't recognize or represent all Eastern-based Métis. They don't represent all Quebec Métis. We're all any Métis. These guys represent these guys. (laughs) They don't represent me. They don't represent a lot of people. Um, In fact, they don't represent anybody, like I just said. And if we're going to play this game of taking the worst people as representatives of, you know, in this case, Eastern Métis, well, the same could be said for Red River-based Métis. There are some absolutely pitiful people that are Red River Métis. They're not pitiful because they're Red River Métis, but in any group of people, you're going to have a few jerks, a few people that nobody likes. And that's fine. That's natural. And so this happens in every group. It just so happens that in the case of Eastern Métis, it's these people who self-identify for their own benefit and for their own gain and for their own personal betterment. These are the people that certain academics and certain wannabe academics um, claim represent all Eastern Metis. And that just simply isn't the case. Um, I think that's a really deplorable way to look at things. And it, it's no different than the discrimination faced by any oppressed p- group of people throughout history. You paint the, the whole group with the same brush, that's discrimination. Um, I don't know how else you 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 say that without saying no. That's basic discrimination. Um, and so, it, it, this story really bothers me, and it's it's got a lot of facets to it that really bother me. And I and I hope that it gets rooted out. But I hope we can keep perspective. I hope that everybody that listens to this podcast, but I hope everybody out there can keep perspective. There are people that fraudulently claim a First Nation identity. And there's probably been ch- can, can, uh, cases where people have claimed a, a fraudulent Inuit identity. Right now, people are claiming this because it's... it's people think it, all Indigenous are getting all these benefits. And certainly, uh, a lot of people are misled as to what the Daniels' decision really was. And so, yeah, they might fraudulently claim to be Métis. Um But I think what we need to do is we need to look at at who these people are. And if I'm claiming Métis identity to get a job, yeah, then that's wrong. That's just wrong. If I'm putting the work in to learn the culture and learn and understand who my family was and how my family moved around and why they might have, uh, you know, why I might have not have grown up being understanding who I was, like what happened in my whole family story. This is, this is the the type of people that are trying to get to the bottom of this for their own questions and their own answers. But that's a very personal thing. And, uh, you know, I just want to point out to everybody that I don't um, believe that these people working for this Windsor School Board should be doing these jobs unless, not even just simply because they're fraudulent Métis. Let's pretend they're all real Métis. Let's say they're all Red River Métis but they only reconnected with their culture a year ago. Well, then you can't teach other people about Indigenous identity if you've only started learning it yourself. It's no different than academics who claim to know all this, have all this knowledge and understanding about Métis identity, Indigenous identity, because they've read a lot of books about it and they got a PhD. Well, I know people called elders who've spent an entire lifetime learning their culture, their ceremonies, their histories, their stories, their songs, their protocols, uh, learning who their people were and who they were. Those are experts. And I've even seen cases where these so-called Métis academics attack elders because the elders say, no, there are Métis in the East. Well, that doesn't jive with our colonial Canadian education and the books I've read, so you're an idiot, you're wrong, you're stupid, you're this, you're that, name-calling. And yet, these are elders. Uh, these are people that grew up Métis 100% their whole life, who've probably forgotten more about being Métis than these scholars ever will. And so this is the battle I think we face whenever we talk about this self-identification. I think it's, it's a very challenging Topic, but I think we all need to have this conversation. But we need to set the vitriol aside. We need to set the the discriminatory broad brush strokes aside. We need to sit down as people and truly understand where we're coming from on both sides of the issue. I I do understand how people that are Red River Métis based don't want their Red River Métis culture co-opted and appropriated by non-Métis. Um, I can understand how they don't want it taken to another part of Canada that it didn't exist. Um, so I get that. I, I get that. There was no Red River carts in the form that they were in in Red River. There was no Red River carts in, you know, Eastern Canada. Um there just wasn't. Maybe, maybe years and years later, after they heard about them, and they, you know, maybe they made it there. But the Red River cart originated in Red River. I get that, so I don't want that cart in Eastern Canada either. Eastern Canada should have its own, and and does have its own cultural aspects. But that's where we need to sit down at the table, or you know, big room, whatever, and talk about these things in a calm cool and collected way. We need to have a conversation as opposed to an argument. We need to understand each other. We need to listen as much as we speak. And I think if we could do that, if we could set aside the extremists on either side. So if we take the academics that are are making up things and, and, and literally just brushing everybody with one stroke, um, if we set them aside we'll call them the Red River Nationalists, set them aside. And we set aside these fraudulent people who are claiming a Métis identity who who shouldn't, like these people teaching at this um, Windsor School Board. Um, whether they're Métis or not, they shouldn't be teaching because they don't know the culture. They don't know Indigenous cultures and, and histories and stories and all that kind of stuff. So they shouldn't be teaching it. Um, so let's set all those people aside and... Let's let the main group of Métis, the other 80% of Métis, get together and collectively come up with an, a, you know, a solution to these problems that, that is a mutually agreed upon solution, is a mutually accepted solution, where all sides have been heard, all sides got to speak, and we can all come together in a decision, not continuous fighting on social media, barking at people, attacking people, going after people because they're friends with people who are Eastern Métis. Um, You know, these are things that are just wrong. And, you know, there's people out there that have published a book and gotten a PhD, and they claim to know more than people who are, I'd say, you know, mid-60s and have lived and breathed being Métis their entire life. That's just wrong. That's equally as wrong as these fraudsters. So that's my take on this. That's one story that I thought was very troubling and I wanted to make it very clear, especially to to people who think that you know Eastern Metis just want to take everything. They want to we want all us all of our advantages and we just want tax breaks and all this. I for one don't want anything. I want the freedom to pursue my own family history and answer my own questions and come to an understanding of who I am. And I have some very, very wonderful indigenous people surrounding me in my personal life that are helping me get there. And those are people that um, I will always, always remember and always, always cherish. So that's what I'm doing. I don't want hunting rights. I don't want free gas. I'm good with everything in my life. I just want to know who I am. But I also don't want somebody else to tell me who I'm not. I don't want somebody else to jump all over me because I say I'm Métis you know what, just let me pursue my identity and who I am. So that's kind of my take on that. Um, I know we've gone over this on the show a bazillion times, but, you know, stories like this kind of come up, and they really do piss me off, because it takes all the steam out of, uh, you know, anything that Eastern Métis have, have built up. Um, and, you know, I I don't know. There's a lot of things that I could go on and on about this. I think it highlights some of the the disconnects we have with our First Nation and Inuit family uh, as Indigenous people on this land. I think, you know, I'm I'm not going to blame the what we call the cartel, which is the Métis National Council and affiliates. I'm not going to blame them for this issue. Um, You know, but where are they in standing up against this stuff? Um, Where are they in standing up and saying, no, why aren't they negotiating with school boards to say, look, if you want Métis people to be teaching we will provide those Métis people, but we will have vetted them so that we know that they know the history, they know the traditions, they know um, Ontario Métis, um, they have that knowledge, as opposed to just random Métis people getting hired. So, um, And I don't blame the Métis Nation of Ontario for that. I do, I do think that they could do a lot more. I think the cartel in itself could do a whole lot more to step up to the table with both governments and First Nations and Inuits to to participate in a much better way, collectively. But uh, but again, I don't blame any Indigenous groups for this. I think this is people trying to take advantage of the system, and they are doing it. And it's uh, it's a piss off to me just as much as it would be to uh, Red River nationalists. And I think it's wrong. So, and this podcast is uh, this is going to be amazing because I'm going to move on to another story. Um, But I actually have two kind of shorter stories to talk about. And <laughs> I, I'm even a little bit shocked with myself about this. But the second thing I want to talk about tonight was the Manitoba Métis Federation is angry with the provincial government. Again, shocker, I know. Um, but this time it's due to the lack of Métis being appointed to the Fish and Wildlife Enhancement Fund Board. Uh, and this is where I'm shocked, people, because this, and you, you guys might want to write this down, as marked this day in your calendar, I don't know, but this is one of those rare occasions where I actually agree with David Chartrand and the Métis, or the Manitoba Métis Federation, in the fact that there should be Indigenous perspectives on this board, and every board like these in every province and territory. However, I would go further to say that it should have both First Nations, or well, I guess not both, but First Nations, Inuit, and Métis, if that applies in that province or territory. Um, and I, I believe it should be First Nations from the traditional territories within that province or territory. Um, and also Métis from within that those, those territories. Um, so, you know, like these, I just want to... Okay, I'm going to switch over here to my uh, computer. And I want to... Um, for those who don't know what the uh, Fish and Wildlife Enhancement Fund is because we're not living in Manitoba or maybe we just haven't been paying attention to it. Um, it's basically a funding type program that the Manitoba set up. It it kind of morphed from a fish um, and conservation fund to a fish and wildlife conservation fund. And essentially what it is, it's like 10 bucks from every fish license and 5 bucks from every hunting tag goes into it gets directed into this fund to do certain things, it's, uh, very specific. The fishing goes to the fishing, and the you know the hunting goes to the game. So, uh, some of the things that these guys uh, say they they fund is projects like fisheries and wildlife development, habitat rehabilitation, protection, uh, stock assessment and monitoring, um, research, education, hunter or trapper education. Uh, you know, outreach, stewardship, comp- and fisheries and wildlife compensation, which I don't really know what that is. Um, you know, eligible applicants are anglers, hunters, trappers, uh, including fish and game associations, academic institutions, and like universities, colleges, schools, environmental organizations, conservation districts, community groups, other non-for-profit, which includes Métis organizations, uh, government agencies, rural municipalities, crown corporations, for-profit organizations, and individual people. So basically, everybody. Everybody has access to this fund. They need to apply, and they need to go through the application process. And what the board is, is the board is who decides who gets the funding. So, returning to this board are uh, somebody from the Manitoba Wildlife Federation Um, Somebody from Fish Futures, which I'm guessing is some sort of lobby group, I guess. I don't know. Um, Swan River Sport Fishing Enhancement Incorporated. Walleye Angler Association of Manitoba. Fish Lake Improvement. Uh, Some guy from Argyle. I don't even know what that is. Manitoba Fly Fishing Association. Manitoba Wildlife Federation. Manitoba Trappers Association. Intermountain Sport Fishing Enhancement Incorporated and some other company, one-name company, I don't know what it is. And the new appointees to this this board are people from the Manitoba Wildlife Federation, again, Ducks Unlimited, Environmental Consultant and Wildlife Society of Manitoba, Manitoba Lodges and Outfitters, Manitoba Big Game Trophy Association, and Weber's Lodges and Churchill Wild. Now, why I read that all to you is because you notice that there is not one single in- Indigenous organization or group or nation listed amongst those uh, people appointed to that board. So that means there's absolutely zero Indigenous input on who gets the funding, how the funding is used, and how that board even operates. So when we talk about this, uh, you know, big term called reconciliation, uh, I just want to say to all provincial governments and territories, this might be a good place to start is on your boards and on your committees, you may want to find ways to start incorporating Indigenous perspectives. And I'm not meaning that you just go out and find the closest Indigenous person and put them on the board. What I mean is you go out and you purposely find uh, experts, Indigenous experts in these areas to consult with, to be part of the board, to be on the board. Um, You know, through the nonprofit world, I have heard a lot of people say, well, how... You know, how can we attract Indigenous people to our board? Well, the first step is, is go out and ask Indigenous people to be on your board. Um, And go actively seek out Indigenous people to be part of your board. Don't expect them to come to you. Um, So this is, you know, this is one of those rare times where I actually totally agree with the Manitoba Métis Federation and the fact that there needs to be Indigenous perspectives on this board, especially a board that hands out funding for wildlife conservation and wildlife enhancements. Um, I don't believe that anything should be being done on this board. No money should be being handed out, specifically without the First Nations whose territory this is, but also without the Métis being a part of this. So uh, in this case, it's in Manitoba, and as far as I know, there's not a uh, traditional Inuit population there. But feel free to correct me if I'm wrong, which I'm sure you guys will. But for if there is not an indigenous there or an Inuit there, then it should be the first nations whose territory that is, and the, the metis. And it should be first a representative from every nation that is there because it, that, it, that Manitoba takes up part of their traditional territory. Um, and that is, should be the onus on the government to make that happen. This shouldn't be on Indigenous people to fight and fight and fight and fight and fight to be on these boards. It should, The onus should be on the governments themselves to make these boards Indigenous and make them have Indigenous perspectives. And I would think anything to do with wildlife and fish and wildlife would be the easiest place for a person, for a government to start looking to indige- bring in more Indigenous perspectives. Like, I mean, come on. Talk about the, e- like, this is the low-hanging fruit, folks. Pick it. Start picking. So, I thought that was fantastic that uh, they came out and said that. So, I guess good for you, David Chartrand. I don't know what to say, man. I'm shocked. And, and now I continue on with my apparent love fest for the Métis Nation organizations. Because I really wanted to applaud the Métis Nation of B.C., for fully supporting the B.C. government's sexual orientation and gender identity initiative with their First Nations family. Wow. I wonder, like, I wonder if these organizations, like the the Métis Nation of B.C. and the Manitoba Métis Federation, like, I wonder if they understand, if they get a different feeling when they know that they're working with their First Nation family and not against them, or not without them. And, uh, I wonder if they get a different feeling inside once they feel better about it, because I know I certainly do when I read stories about it, and I hope you guys out there listening do as well. But uh, this is this is a program that uh, for anybody who's Christian, you might not agree with. Uh, there were protests from Christian groups, Catholic. I think it was a Catholic group or a Christian group. Uh, some, you know, people for the faith of humankind group or some crap. The bottom line is. Um, if you don't agree with it, hey, you're welcome to protest, but uh, I'm just really happy to see that the Métis Nation of BC stood up and signed uh, to support this initiative in British Columbia. So I really hope we start seeing this in, if it's not already in British Columbian schools, I hope it gets in there real quick. And um, I think for our LGBTQ2 plus community, it will be um, huge and it will be, a great way to for, you know, British Columbia to show their support, but also for the Indigenous groups that signed to support this, it is, shows an, uh, a firm support of your Two-Spirit community, which makes me quite happy. And I hope it makes you guys quite happy. And if you don't like, uh, you know, sexual orientation and gender issues being taught in school, don't please do not contact me on from social media. I don't want to hear about it because I'll just... I'll end up blocking you or unfriending you or whatever. So, from my perspective, don't tell me about your opinions. I really don't care. Um, if you want to protest, go protest. But don't don't argue with me about it. I don't want to hear it. Um, <laughs> as much as we say, please provide feedback. On, when it comes to LGBTQ2+, if you do not agree that, you know, they have rights, then, as far as I'm concerned, piss off. Um, now... The last thing I wanted to talk about was uh, my trip out to Victoria. I did not get to sit down with my buddy James and record a conversation with him again. This is like my third attempt now. So I think next time he's in Calgary, I'm going to uh, force him into my podcast basement and make sure that we record a conversation. Um, But the reason I was out there and the reason I wanted to tell you guys about this was I actually went out there. Uh, not just for a vacation, but I went out there to have a conversation, be part of a met conversation with Indigenous and some non-Indigenous as well, uh, men, talking about uh, what is masculinity and what does it, it mean to be a man in today's society. And I think this is a very important conversation we need to start having as men. And, uh, you know, I'm, I guess I'm speaking to the men listening now. Um, if you aren't having these conversations you need to be the one starting these conversations. I am working to be part of a, you know, a men's group here in Calgary. To, uh, it's an Indigenous men's group and to be part of these conversations and to find out and to just start talking about healthy uh, masculinity and healthy ways that we can uh, be men in our communities, in our families, in our, you know, relationships, in and like I said, in our communities, And so I think this is a very, very important conversation to have, especially when you consider all of the, uh, and I apologize for my language, but all of the absolute bullshit that we are seeing on TV now with the likes of, you know, rapey Bill Cosby and rapey Harvey Weinstein and rapey Brett Kavanaugh and, you know, um, guys like... Comedians and like Louis C.K. and things like that, like these are again are not the examples that men want to use as what men are. Um, And it's it's very um, difficult to have that the just have that. uh, Well, it's not all men. Yes, it's not all men, but men aren't doing enough, in my opinion, to stop this shit. To say this is wrong. What they're doing is wrong. And so that's part of, that is why I went out there, was to have this conversation and be part of it and hear other perspectives. Um, To give you an understanding, this was a group of men where I only knew, I knew two of the men there really well. I knew a third one in passing, like sort of. Um, But the other men that were there, I think there was like three or four other men. I didn't know them at all. I met them at the group. And you know what was nice? to sit around and talk about this with men and just be open and honest and not hide it back, not hide anything, not have to hold back. And, and uh, you know, a couple of people got emotional, and it was great. It was okay. Because uh, I think that's another thing, you know, like, as men, we got to start realizing we have emotions. We have feelings. We, we can feel sad. We can cry. We can... You know, when you when you watch a stupid sad movie, it's quite okay to get emotional about it. It's not the end of the world. Um, doesn't make you less of a man. You don't have to go out and beat the shit out of somebody just because you cried at a movie or something. Um, but these are important stereotypes. Like we talked a lot about the stereotypes um, that men face. The you know the stereotype of violence and aggression that we often see associated with men. Um, we talked about. Um, what men and ro- women's roles in ceremony and and in, in our traditional ways uh, going back. Um, and the importance of Two-Spirit people in our ceremonies in our life traditionally. And uh, unfortunately, we weren't able to have um, any Two-Spirit people there. It just, just didn't work out. Um, but this group is going to get together again in the spring, so we're hoping to, we can attract a few more people to come. Um, but I will let... The organizers, uh, the organizer of the event, decide who who's coming. I'm not gonna openly invite all y'all. Um, you know, we talked about other things like uh, men, what it means to be a role model, and speaking up for for the atrocities that you know or may know are happening. Um, standing up for people and for our people, our communities, our women, our children, each other. Um, and then, of course, we got into you know what it means to be a warrior. Uh, and obviously, uh, you guys listening probably know that it doesn't mean that you just kill and, and go to war and, and bomb or, or slaughter everything that stands in your path. Being a warrior means so much more than that. It's it's about protecting and, and supporting your entire community and being that person that people can rely on. Um, it means having empathy and having emotions and showing love and kindness and things like that. So... That's what we talked about. Was a lot of those kinds of things. Um, you know, one of the things that I had mentioned uh, that I had learned from a, an elder here locally, and uh, he's an Anishinaabe elder, and he, I was part of a ceremony with him, and he was talking about men and, and emotions and things like that, and you know, he he really said a, a, something powerful to me, and he taught me that, you know, when men, when we all cry, not just men, but when we all cry or we shed tears or whatever we show those emotions um, you know he said what a wonderful gift to give back to the mother earth is those tears because not only are you healing as you as those tears fall but that is something from you that you're you're giving back to mother earth and so it was a different way to look at showing emotion and being vulnerable and things like that so and, you know and he was a very big proponent of emotions being very healthy and, uh, you know, this is a guy that had a very tough time through residential school and, and throughout his life. And so it was, it was really powerful to hear that from, from him at the time that I was there in that ceremony. And I, uh, I guess from this podcast and me talking about it, I just want to put it out there for all the men out there that are listening. You know, again, if I, as I said, if you're not hearing these conversations in your community or within your, your locals or within your group of friends and people maybe maybe you could step up and start those conversations. You know, you don't need a lot of money. You don't need any special thing. Uh, invite some people over to your living room and just sit down and, you know, uh, talk about what, it, what, what each person thinks it is to be a man and how we can be better men. How can we support each other to be better men? And how can we move through this world as better men, as better role models? And how can we show the world that we don't, we don't support these assholes that commit these crimes against our women. Um, I, I think we've all, you know, we, we all make mistakes in life. But, I mean, I've been, you know, I'll be honest, guys. I've been really hammered. Um, I spent a lot of my teen years binge drinking and other stuff. And, you know, I, I just, I didn't do those things. Um So alcohol, there's no excuse for the the behavior of these men. There's no excuse for it whatsoever. And we as men have to stand up and say that. We have to start saying, no, this isn't acceptable. And when you see stuff or you're in a group or you're, you know, you're in a setting where anything like this might happen, you need to stand up and be that person that says, no, that's not okay, guys. Um, And we need to start being the examples that we want to see out there. You know, it's like Gandhi's famous saying, you know, Be the change you want to see in the world. Well, well, that's what we need to do. So I implore you all, men out there in your communities, to start these conversations. And if you do start these conversations and uh, you want to let me know how things are going, of course, you can always send me an email at metipodcast at gmail.com. I'm the only one that sees those emails, so you can send me stuff that you... You want to keep private, and I won't air it on the air if you don't want me to, um, you know, things like that. But just to let me know that you're, you're having these conversations. and if, Or if you simply want to have a conversation with me about these things, then again, send me an email at metispodcast at gmail.com. And uh, we can certainly connect that way. And I think it's important that we start to build a, uh, a strong foundation for our youth coming up uh, there's a lot of young men out there who maybe haven't had a solid role model, a male role model in their life. Or even if they have, they're confused. They don't know what to do. Their peers are all saying this. So it's, it's a way for us to come together as a community and as a, as a group of people and, uh, and, and really teach our youth and show our youth what it is to be men and how we, we treasure, cherish, and respect our women. And our two spirits and all members of our community and that's that's what we as men do and um I'm only speaking about this because that's what I want to see happening is just a, a network and a a huge conversation for out there that's happening about how do we how do we start to get rid of these these Bill Cosbys of our communities, and how do we make sure that our young girls our young, young people, are safe? How do we make sure that our women are safe? And, you know, how do we make sure that if something does happen, we have a community of people that will back that person, will support that person, will, will help that person heal and, and do those things? Where, how do we start all that? It's a big conversation, guys, and, but we need to start having it. So I'm going to leave you guys with that. I hope this wasn't uh, too boring for you guys. Um, I know it's a bit shocking that I actually agreed with the MMF for a change and that I'm I'm actually quite uh, congratulatory to the Métis Nation of BC for being awesome and supporting the Sexual Orientation and Gender Identity Initiative. So, I mean, what more can I say? The Métis Nation has done some good things. Uh, <laughs> there's a quote I didn't think I would say too much. Uh, If you guys enjoyed this show, again, I want to remind you we have a Patreon page. Uh, Head over there. We have one spot left before we do the draw, so please sign up. Um, Your Patreon dollars go directly to the show. They go directly to improving the show, and um, tonight is a great example. I uh, I was able to find a piece of equipment and upgrade something that I think will really help me in the future, so I appreciate that, guys. Uh, We are working towards... um, I think I mentioned this in my live video. We are working towards changing up our Patreon a little bit to provide much more benefits to our patrons. Um, And for those who have already signed up, I cannot say thank you enough. You guys are so awesome. You have changed this show. You really, truly have. I know you might not think it, you might not see it, but you truly have changed this show for the better. Um. And it will continue to get better, and we will continue to do good things with, with our Patreon money. So head over there and support it, um, and in probably in the next six to eight weeks, you're going to see that change to really providing you with some some huge value, I hope. I hope. Um, but yeah, for 5 bucks a month, you can help grow the show. You can help us uh, take this show to new heights, and that would be really, really awesome. Um... And I usually ask Jason if he has any final thoughts, but I think I can say that he does not. So I hope you guys have a fantastic week. I look forward to doing my live video sometime later this week. I am aiming for Friday. Um, But for tonight, uh, in a snowed-in, absolutely jam-packed, crazy city of Calgary right now, um, I want to thank you guys for listening. I hope you enjoyed the show. But for now, the jig is up the spark that's starting a fire that will spread across this land and it will be a fire that doesn't burn but a fire that cleanses a fire that ignites in our hearts and creates light no more living in darkness our time now is to be light in the world